Hey sisters, Christy here from Book Club Sisterhood. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. This is where we share our weekly book discussions with you so you can listen while multitasking or enjoying your favorite drink and reading along with us. I hope you enjoy this discussion. Let's grow. Hey sisters, it's Christy, uh, co-founding sister of Book Club Sisterhood. Welcome to uh, sort of a special episode of the BCS podcast. I am here by myself just recording a podcast instead of a video because last week I had no voice. So this episode is coming to you late, approximately a week late, um, because when we did our live discussion on Zoom, I had no voice. So I decided just for sake of quality of recording you guys would be able to understand me much clearer when I have my voice back, which about 95% better. So um, here we go. This is the third week of our discussion of Unshakable Hope by Max Licato. We are discussing chapters 9 through 11 um, on this episode. Um, so kind of special, interesting <laughs> episode here. So here we go. Um, chapter nine is called No Condemnation. So these chapters are kind of heavy. So if you've just been dealing with a lot in your life right now, this may not be the best episode to start with if you're not reading along with us. Um, if you are reading along with us, then I highly encourage you to keep listening because I think that there's a lot of good stuff in here. Um, it's just going to be kind of hard to like dig in if this is your very first episode because it's deep y'all. Um, all right. Chapter nine, no condemnation. So this chapter, he opens up starting um, with the U S debt clock. And apparently there is a giant clock in New York city that is counting our debt. <laughs> it is only meant to count up. Apparently it doesn't count backwards when we're actually doing well. So that's kind of discouraging, but Anyway, he compared that to our moral debt clock. So our moral debt is sin. We are sinners. We are born as sinners. So we owe God a huge debt. On page 94, he talks about the two, two of the major reactions to a moral debt. So the first is the worker who is desperate to impress God. The second is the unbeliever convinced there is no God. So first of all, I want to talk about the worker desperate to impress God. It is impossible to impress God. Our pastor made a really good point a couple weeks ago about impressing God and how it is impossible because God made us. He is above us. He created us. He knows exactly what we're capable of because he created us for a purpose. So how could we ever impress him if he already knows what, what we can do? We can impress each other because we're on the same level. We can't impress God because he is far above us. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is the unbeliever who was convinced there is no God. The reality is there is a God and he created us and he saved us and he sent his, his son as a baby to die on the cross for us. And that's how he paid our debt for us. So as a Christian, you want to you know, as you follow him and as you build that relationship with him, you move into a place where you understand that we owe a debt, but we can never repay it because he sent his son. I mean, that's, there's nothing we could do that's big enough to repay that debt. But when you serve a master as great as God, you want to 
you know, do your best for him. And I think that's the important thing that we remember, you know, we, we don't, we don't have to be the worker because we can't impress him, but we do need to understand that he does exist and that he has done something incredible for us that we can never repay. So I like what he says on page 95 of Unshakable Hope by Max Licato. He says, our debt is enough to sink us. God loves us too much to leave us. So God has found a way to save us. I just love those three lines. It, it sums it up very nicely. Um, and, you know, God, it says God has found a way to save us. And that way was Jesus when he sent him to die on the cross, which we, we just celebrated Jesus' birth on Christmas. We just celebrated him coming as a humble baby to take away our sins. On page 99, he says, Too just to overlook our sins, too loving to dismiss us. He placed our sin on his son and punished it there. And then he quotes 2 Corinthians 5.21, and I want to read it from the NLT because he quotes the message version in the book, but I want to read the NLT because it just said it better for me. It says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I kind of see it this way. Jesus is the bridge. We sin. He pays for our sin. And that allows us to pass into heaven. We're not God. We're not perfect. God must be just and he must punish us for our sins, but he also loves us and he doesn't want us to suffer. That's why he made that sacrifice for us. It's such a beautiful, amazing sacrifice. And it's incomprehensible sometimes. It's just, I, how do you ascend your only son to die for people that don't even care about you? Because the Bible also says, as we are still sinners, Christ died for us. That means even though we were not following him, we were not reading our Bibles, we were not obeying, he still sent his son to die for us. And that's just mind-blowing to me. On page 100, he quotes 1 Peter 2.24. He says, Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. <coughs> so when there's a wound, I don't know if you know what happens, but your body creates scar tissue. Scar tissue is an interweaving of cells that help to cover over that wound. It, it makes that spot stronger and tougher to get through. If you have any scars on your body from where you've hurt yourself, which most people do because, you know, we're clumsy, um, gravity always wins. Don't try to beat gravity. Anyway, um, when your your body heals that, that place, it, it creates scar tissue and it covers over that wound. And I feel like you know, Jesus covers us with his wounds. He is the interwoven cells that make us stronger. You know, we don't have to try to fix ourselves and strive to be good enough because Jesus covered us. There's no reason for us to be the worker and push, push, push to try to earn our place in heaven because it's impossible. Jesus covered that for us. He took care of it. On page 102, he says, as you look up at the insurmountable debt you owe, 
the debt you can never pay. Let this promise be declared. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's from Romans 8.1, which he opens this chapter with having Romans 8.1 quoted at the beginning. But he also ends with it. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to feel the weight of our sin because Jesus took the weight of that on himself. All right, let's move on to chapter 10. It is called This Temporary Tomb. And I want to start out on page 106 and read almost all the way at the bottom, like a paragraph above. People of the promise hold on to the unshakable hope that hinges on the resurrection of Christ. No one else has ever done this and no one else ever will. No one has died and rose again three days later. And no one ever will. He rose from the grave under his own power because he's Jesus. He is God. He's the only human that ever lived on this earth with the power to raise the dead. Elijah raised a dead boy, but not by his own power. It was by Jesus' power. On page 107, he references 1 Corinthians 15, 23, which says, But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So Christ went first, but we get to follow. That's super exciting to me. I'm, I'm just really excited to get to follow in his footsteps and go to heaven. On page 109 at the top, he says, he who created us will collect us, which means he's coming back. And that's the hope that we have. He will come with a shout and take all believers to heaven. That's the promise that we have in Jesus. You know, if we are people of the promise, we understand that God has promised to come back for us. This world is a desolate wasteland. Nothing works out perfectly here. And we know that because we see it every single day when there's school shootings and there's massacres and there are people shooting each other. It's horrible and sad and terrible. You know, people get sick, people die. But even if we die, we have this promise that God left for us that He's coming back for us. He's not leaving us here. He's coming back to take us up to heaven with him. Toward the bottom of page 110, he says, This is God's promise. He will reclaim his creation. He is a God of restoration, not destruction. He is a God of renewal, redemption, regeneration, resurrection. God loves to redo and restore. Revelation 21.5 says, I am making everything new. Everything is going to be new. So there's no more bad news, no more pain, no more disease, no more fighting. This life is nothing compared to heaven. And that's, again, that's our promise is that we get to go to heaven where none of this exists and we can be at peace and we can be next to our father seated at the same table where we get to share a meal with him and really, you know, get to know him on a whole other level. On page 112, he says, 
your finest moment will be your final moment. And a few lines down, he says, he will lead you through the valley of death. He will lead you not to it, but through it, which means he's going to be walking right alongside of you, guiding you along the way. He's going to stay right with you. He goes through it with you. Even after death, he will be right there every single step of the way. And that's why this tomb is temporary. Our tomb, when we die, is temporary. He is going to bring us up to heaven. Chapter 11, the joy is soon coming. On page 118, he quotes Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. The next line, he says, the clouds may eclipse the sun, but they cannot eliminate that. I love that because the clouds do block the sun from our view, but it doesn't get rid of the sun. The sun still exists. The S-U-N sun still exists, even when the clouds are blocking your view of it. But it can't get rid of it. So sometimes sorrow can feel like that cloud, like it's it's dulling your view. It's making things look really dark around you. But it didn't, your sorrow didn't get rid of your joy. You can hold both sorrow and joy at the same time. Sorrow will come in this broken world. You know, we already said that. There's a lot wrong with this world. But sorrow is not bigger than God. That's why he says, you know, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. He talks about Mary Magdalene's story in this chapter. Mary was oppressed by many demons. And on page 119, he says, Jesus stepped into her world. He spoke and the demons fled. So this reminds me of the show, The Chosen. They go into Mary Magdalene's story quite a bit. And she says a line that touched so many people's lives that have watched The Chosen. If you haven't watched it, I highly, highly recommend you download their app. Um, they have a few episodes on YouTube and Facebook, but I, I definitely recommend the app. You can stream it on multiple streaming devices. Um, but it is so, so good. It's a TV show. So there's two seasons out right now that go over the life of Jesus. And it's called The Chosen because there's, you know, all of his disciples are there with him. And they talk about their journey. You know, the first season, he kind of chooses his disciples. And then he, season two, he begins to prepare for the Sermon on the Mount. So that's where we're up to so far um, with what they've released. Season three should be hopefully be recording soon. But anyway, in this in this show, one of the lines that Mary Magdalene says is, I was one way and now I am completely different. And what happened in between was him. So after her dramatic transformation, I mean, he just spoke and the demons left her. There's no wonder in my mind that she became his follower. Because after being oppressed by that many demons and going through that much strife, and then just to be instantly changed completely because he spoke over her, of course she was eager to serve. Of course she wanted to be his follower. He changed everything for her. Our transformation may not be as dramatic as Mary Magdalene's, but as soon as you accept him into your heart, you become a whole new creation. It's amazing when you accept him 
how different you feel. Now, of course, as time goes on, you're going to start to slip back into maybe some old ways. And we also see that in The Chosen. You know, Mary Magdalene kind of slips back into her old rhythms and um, things because she's human. You know, we're not perfect. We're not God, like we said. You know, accepting Jesus is one of the most exciting and amazing things that I've ever done in my life. And it wasn't dramatic. I didn't have demons excised from me, but it changed my heart. He made me into a completely new creation. And I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys right now if I hadn't accepted him. And it was just amazing. And to see the things that he's doing in my life and the, the people's lives around me have been incredibly incredibly changed. The number of miracles I've seen just in this last year is insane to me. He then talks about Mary's role in Jesus' death and resurrection. She was always very close to Jesus, which explains why she went to the tomb on Sunday and she was the one that found it empty. She was deeply devoted to him. So she begins to cry because not only is her savior gone, he is now missing. His body is missing. So she's full of sorrow. So a man walks up to her in the garden, and she thinks it's one of the gardeners, and she says, you know, sir, please just tell me where his body is, and I want to finish. Um, they go through a process. When someone dies, they take care of the body. And she was trying to finish that process because things kind of happen so quickly. So this man that comes up to her speaks her name in John 20, verse 16, and then the joy comes. He merely speaks her name, and she knows immediately that's, that, that's, her, that's Jesus. On page 121, he says, In the amount of time it took her to rotate her head from this way to that, her world went from a dead Jesus to a living one. Weeping may last through the night, but joy... Then on page 123, he says, joy comes because Jesus comes. And if we don't recognize his face, he will call our names. It's just so beautiful to know that even if we are not looking toward him and recognizing his face, he calls our name. He is calling out to us because he wants to bring us joy. He wants us to have that Joy, 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 joy down in our heart. I love quoting kids' songs. It takes me back to the days of Sunday school and riding a bus to church and just having a really fun time as a kid. It was, it was awesome. Um, on page 126, he says, Even when you don't feel like it, keep walking the trail to the empty tomb. Open your Bible. Meditate on Scripture sing hymns, and talk to other believers. Come to Jesus. He will give you joy, even when the clouds are covering the sun and it feels like you have no hope. He's there. The sun, the S-O-N sun, didn't leave. He will never leave you or forsake you. He didn't leave. He's always been there. He will always be there. And he wants to bring you joy. Please remember that when you're in a deep, dark pit. Don't ever think that you're alone. Just come to him. 
accept him. And you'll feel it. I promise. I always feel him when I need him the most. Happiness is fleeting, but even in the depths of grief, you can find joy because you can still find Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this book and for every single person listening, God. You know what they're dealing with. You know what is going through their head right now. God, I just pray that your joy can cut through all the noise. God, your small whisper can cut through all the grief and the strife and the torment. God, just please move those clouds out of the way so that we can see your son. We want to see your son and his sacrifice for us. God, thank you for that tomb being empty. Thank you for that precious miracle that you provided for us when your son died on the cross and then rose again to live in heaven with you. God, thank you for your promise to come back for us and to help us, just guide us and help us to see your will for our lives and your purpose. Lord, we just love you and we thank you for everything that you provided us, God. I want to pray for all those that have needs right now, God. You know what they are and you know exactly how to reach them and how to take care of those needs for them. Lord, I pray that we can all just trust you with where our lives are supposed to go. Lord, I thank you so much for all all the things that you've done for us, God. And it's all in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the BCS podcast. If you would like to chat with us, please join our community on Facebook, Book Club Sisterhood. And you can find us on Instagram as Book Club Sisterhood as well. We can't wait to hang out with you again next week. Let's grow.